Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. You have some truths that you live by, gates that guide your outlook, your priorities and decisions. Well, my guest today, Terry Tucker, founder of Motivational Excellence, has four truths that he lives by. And I think you're gonna find them very interesting. And his life story is going to blow you away. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. I am so privileged today to have Terry Tucker as my guest. He is the CEO of Motivational Check LLC and the author of Sustainable Excellence. Welcome, Terry. Wendy, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. I am too. I think that the world needs a little bit more joy in it, and I think that's what you bring. So um, <laughs> this is cool. Well, uh, I, you know, anytime I think two people get together and want to make a difference in the world, I think there's joy that's brought. That's absolutely. Well, as we were talking in the green room, this podcast is primarily aimed at entrepreneurs and business owners and people who are doing that. Now, you weren't always a business owner. How did what is the what is the track you took to get to where you are today from a business owner perspective? Yeah, it, it kind of looks like somebody let a Super Bowl go in a room and it just kind of bounces all over the place. If you look That's at my awesome. resume. I, when I graduated from college, I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. So I was all set to sort of, you know, make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize how little and I you knew. you knew everything, right? Yeah, I, everything. I thought I did. Absolutely. Yeah. And knew absolutely nothing. So I, you know, I'm looking for that first job and I'm really going to date myself. This was long before the internet was available yeah. to help people find employment. So I was in a way kind of lucky because my first job out of college was uh, in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. That was the good news. The bad news was I ended up living at home for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father mm -hmm. and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. So as I said, professionally started out at Wendy's. Then I switched to do um, kind of a job in a hospital administration capacity. Mm -hmm. And then I made the major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And part of what I did as a police officer, whether I was an undercover narcotics investigator, I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After that, I, I got out, uh, started my own school security consulting business, Coach Girls High School Basketball, um, wrote a book in 2020, but for the last 11 years have been dealing with this kind of rare form of cancer. Mm -hmm. And then in 2019, I made the, the brilliant business decision to start a motivational speaking business right as COVID hit. So like so many other people, I had to figure out a different way to deliver the message. And Wendy, this is the honest truth. Some, somebody reached out to me and said, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And I said, sure. 
what's a podcast? You know, I had absolutely no idea what a podcast was. Well, it's kind of like we have a conversation and we record it. And I said, okay, uh, sure, I'd love to do that. I, I was so nervous, so scared. I had post-it notes all around the camera. And, and he would ask me a question. I would kind of lean in and read the post-it. I, I, it, was, it was horrible. I was terrible. But it's funny because about eight months ago, I was a guest on a show where the host was a former National Football League player here in the United States. And this guy was like, Six foot six, like 380 pounds. I mean, he put his form on the desk and it like covered the camera. I mean, that's how big this guy was. <laughs> but we were talking afterwards and he said, you know, Terry, when I started my podcast, I didn't think anybody listened to me. I didn't think anybody would take mm-hmm. me seriously. And I'm like, Marcus, my God, you played at the highest level of professional sports. Why do you think that? So I think it just goes to show that all of us, you know, from time to time kind of have that. I don't know if I'm good enough or I don't know if anybody's going to want to listen to me. You know, that uh, that little bit of fear success or the um, imposter syndrome. And uh, part of it, I also have, a, I, I learned this term from a Texan, Terry, in my undergrad uh, marketing class, which was uh, SRC, self-reference criteria, oh. right? And so I have, like, that was a long time ago. And I still use that almost daily with myself as a screen. So that's fascinating, you know, that sometimes you just got to do things. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I I remember um, Jesse Itzler, who was a former, uh, used to own the Atlanta Hawks and the National Basketball Association. His wife is uh, Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx. Yeah. I, I remember listening to an interview that he gave and he said, you know, when Sarah was thinking about starting Spanx, you know, if she would have, he, he even said, he said, if she would have waited until all the ducks were in a row, until she had everything figured out, he said, somebody would have beat her to the punch to do that. He said, you know, sometimes you just got to dive in and sort of figure it out as you're going along. And that's exactly what she did. And he said, that's why she's been so successful. And so that's what you did as well when you started your motivational company from the sounds of it. Um, so tell me, how did you break through and how did you achieve success during the pandemic when, you know, you're stuck at home being a motivational speaker? I, I, I did podcasts. I, I, I mean, that was really the way. And I, I had plenty of time. I you know, unfortunately have this cancer that I'm treated for every three weeks. So I have two weeks off. And during those two weeks, I would do podcasts. And sometimes I do three or four podcasts in a day. And my, my wife and I always kind of have this sort of rub. It's She's like, you know, you need these two weeks to kind of heal and get ready to do it again and get your blood work up. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you need rest. So I get plenty of rest when I'm dead. You know, so, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, no, this energizes me. This gives yeah. me a purpose. Absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned my dad. My dad was dying of cancer when, when I graduated from college. My dad had end-stage breast cancer back in the 1980s. They didn't know how to treat men with breast cancer. And so they told him to go home and die. And he lived another three and a half years after his diagnosis. And I believe he did because he had a purpose. He was in real estate. And he worked up till two weeks before he died. And so I kind of remembered that, sort of tucked it in the back of my mind and said, you know, when, when we all get to that sort of end of life situation that, you know, we, yeah, we can lay in bed and feel sorry for ourselves and all that. Or we can be like, all right, what can I do based on my physical situation? You know, how I feel and things like that. And for me, that's been podcasting. And I've 
I've been fortunate enough to be on well over 600 podcasts all over the world and have met some amazing human beings. I bet. Um, Question I have is with your dad's journey of cancer, how has that informed your journey in cancer and your journey as a business owner? Yeah, I I think part of it is, you, you know, I mean, we're, we're all going to have difficult times in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I always, you know, I, I try, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to save that story for, for, the, for when we get into the four truths. I was, I was going to tell you a story, but I, I think I'll save it. But, you know, I, I just remember watching my dad. And I was, I was a young man. You know, I, I was in my early 20s. My dad went, died when I was 24 years old. And so, you know, I'm kind of watching this, this hero, this person that I love, you know, kind of waste away to nothing, but still, you know, he, he was so sick, but when he went to work, he was energized. He was, you know, excited. It was, it was good to interact. And, it, you know, I, I didn't realize that I was sort of picking all this stuff up when, when I was helping him, but I, when it was my turn, you know, it was like, no, I need to, I need to continue to live. I need to continue to function. I need to continue to grow. And I think that's, that's certainly something I learned from my dad. And it's something I've tried to apply in my business all, all the time. I, I just finished reading a book um, by Jason Pfeiffer, who's the, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Yes. And he talked about in the book how, you know, he started out as a small town newspaper reporter. And then, you know, he, he kind of got into to, to editing and he worked for this particular company. He said, and once I got everything out of that company, I found another company where I could learn a different type of editing. And I went to that company. And then I found another company. And he said, and it, and it by not staying in one place, by not sort of, mm. you know, putting down roots and saying, you know, this is it for me, but by challenging myself to move to something, I don't know anything about this. I'm going to learn it. He managed to get the job as editor-in-chief of, of Entrepreneur Magazine. So I don't think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people kind of get in a place and sort of grow roots, you know, yeah. and it's like, I'm here and, and I don't want to leave because leaving is scary. And I, I think for Jason, it was absolutely something that he would tell you made his career. I look at that the same way, Terry. So I look at my uh, when I came out of school in a recession and, you know, the jobs were terrible, but I always felt it was paid education in that um, I learned a lot about what I wanted to do as an entrepreneur, but also what I didn't want to do as an entrepreneur. There's so many lessons from each each role or thing I've done, which I'm sure has happened for you as well. Yeah, it, it, it's funny when you said that. I, I, I was remembering this story. I, I, I was interviewing for a marketing position and I was meeting with the senior vice president of the company. And, and we talked for an hour and a half, for 90 minutes. He never asked me one question about marketing or business right. or anything. We spent the entire time uh, talking about my child. What was it like growing up? What was it like with your family? What was it like playing basketball and going to college and playing basketball? And, and I ended up talking to him afterwards. And I said to him, you know, your, your line of questioning was kind of, I think I, I used the word goofy. You know, I, I was kind of like, why? I, I don't get it. And he said, well, he said, here's why I did that. He said, I got plenty of people around me that will tell me whether you're good at marketing, whether you would be a good fit for the team. But he said, I want to hire people of good character. And he said, I believe that character is developed 
in the first 20 years of your life. Mm-hmm. Now, you can certainly massage it as you as you get older and become, you know, an adult and, and move through life. He said, but I wanted I wanted to hear about how you got to where you were. What was it like, you know, with relationship with your family, your brothers, you know, your knee surgeries in high school, playing basketball in college? He said, because I believe character is caught and not taught. It's not like you're going to read a book or take a class and say, oh, hey, I'm a person of great character. No, you you look at things and say, like you said, you know, oh, that's good. I want to incorporate that in my life or oh man, I didn't like the way that person handled that. I don't want to have anything to do with that, you know, in my life. So that's that's the part of, you know, character being caught as opposed to being taught. Are you looking to boost your business value beyond just increasing profit? Introducing the Business Value Amplifier, a revolutionary 10-week program designed to help you uncover proven methods to enhance your company's worth. Discover how to transition from feeling unsure about maximizing your business value to becoming a savvy operator who deliberately and methodically pulls the levers of value building. With the Business Value Amplifier, you can expect to take control of your business's growth and be intentional about enhancing its value. Whether you're planning to sell or simply want a more vibrant, predictable, and lucrative operation, this program is for you. Don't miss out on this opportunity to amplify your business's value in just 10 weeks. Go to blackstarwealth.com amplify and apply for the business value amplifier today. That's blackstarwealth.com amplify. Your business will thank you. And speaking of truths, so you talk a lot about the four truths. Where did they come from? Really for my life, but I think they, they kind of crystallize as I developed cancer and as I've moved yeah. through this 11-year cancer journey. When I was diagnosed with this rare form of melanoma, it was I was told it was a death sentence that, you know, if, if I got a miracle, I might live five years. If I didn't get the miracle, I'd live a couple of years. Now it's 11 years now. And so obviously I got the miracle. But Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, but... You know, it was what what did I learn? I'm had, I've had a lot of time to sit around, you know, in, in hospitals and, and while I'm getting infused and recovering and things like that and think about things in life. You know, what's important? What's not important? Kind of like you said, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to stay away from? And things like that. So the four truths are really kind of what I learned during this 11 year cancer journey. Right. Well, let's dig right in. Tell me about, tell me the first truth, Terry. What's the first truth? The first truth is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. And, you know, people used to ask me, you know, is there a truth that's more important than the other ones? And I used to say, no, they're all equally important. Mm. But I've come to understand that I think that truth, being able to control your mind, and it is, it is is the truth that if you can't do that, the rest of them kind of fall apart. That, yes. if, you know, I mean, We've got to take control of of our pain and it doesn't have to be physical pain. It could be, you know, emotional pain and things like that. But you need to jump on it right away, because if you don't, your brain is going to rule you as opposed to you ruling your brain. Now, you know, I've had 11 years to deal with this, 11 years of being on a drug that gave me the flu every week for for five, uh, five years. I've had my foot amputated in 2018, my leg amputated in 2020. So, you know, when that, when those things happen, you, you got to jump on it. It's like, okay, you know, it's sort of like this sucks, but you got to embrace the suck. 
you know, that I don't like these cards that I've been dealt. Yeah. I have to deal, deal with this. I'm going to have to play these cards to the very best of my ability. And that's what I've tried to do for these the last 11 years. I feel the mindset piece is so, so very important. Um, as you know, I'm in financial planning and uh, I can definitely see those who have a good relationship with money and have done the work on their mindset have a way better outcome than those who are still struggling with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, when I went to college, I went to a military college in South Carolina called the Citadel. And when I was there, we had a president of the college who was a Medal of Honor winner. He was a fighter pilot in uh, Naval Aviator in the Vietnam War, was shot down, spent eight years as a prisoner of war. And I, I, I didn't have a lot of interaction with him. I mean, he was the president of the college. I was just a cadet. But I remember being at a gathering one time where somebody asked him, you know, who were the people that survived that brutality, you know, that torture? And he said, well, let me tell you who didn't survive. He said it wasn't the big, strong, tough guys who thought that they could handle, you know, any kind of, of abuse or torture. He said they didn't survive. And this kind of surprised me. He said it, even the optimists didn't survive. You know, these were the guys that thought, you know, well, we'll be let go by, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter and yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter would come and go yeah. and they wouldn't be released. And those people would die of a broken heart. He said the people that survived were the people who figured out what they could control, which according to him was basically our breathing and the thoughts in our mind. I mean, everything else was at the discretion of the enemy. You know, when we ate, when we slept, when we got beaten, when we got mail, everything was at their discretion. Figured out what they could control and, contr and controlled it. And I, I think that's an incredibly important thing. I mean, we, we all try to control things, especially as entrepreneurs, that are totally out of our control. We have absolutely no control over them whatsoever. And you got to realize what you can control and control that. And the rest of the stuff, you know, you, you sort of either have to pray or hope for you're a lucky person, because really those are out of, out of your, your bailiwick. There's nothing you can do about a lot of these things. Absolutely. I think of that in, in relation to two things in planning, one of which is spending, one of which is, say, the markets. We have zero control over the markets. Right. Um, when the markets crashed in 2008, I didn't sleep for like a couple of weeks. And then finally, I had this conversation. Hey, Wendy, you know, you're not sleeping isn't actually helping the markets or making them better at all. So maybe you should just sleep. And it was interesting. It was like a permission slip where I acknowledged that I didn't have that control and so then I was able to move and then do what I could control, which was help clients. Yeah. 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 And I think that about the same as spending because people can control their spending. They may not be able to control the markets, but they can control how much output they have on certain things. Yeah. And I, and I don't think people realize that, you know, yeah. I, I have a, unfortunately I have a niece who's $109,000 in debt from college, you know, and yeah. is a, is an elementary school teacher. Oh, and and it's like, you're, you're never going to no. pay that off, uh, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, but she never got good advice. She never, yep. you know, got anybody that said, Hey, no, you know, maybe you go to community college for the first two years and get your prerequisites out of the way a whole lot cheaper. And then you go to, mm. you know, you, you know, to the, the regular college you were going to go to and, and get your actual degree and things like that. But if you don't have anybody, you know, as a kid, you know, anything about money, you know, I didn't know anything about that. If you don't have anybody that can sort of direct you, man, you're you're really at the at the whim of sort of the sharks that are out there. 
Oh yeah. You'll believe different things. Yeah. Tell me about number two. Uh, number two, uh, embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. You know, our, our, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo, the way things are right now, hey, comfortable and familiar and should just be left alone. It's kind of like what we were talking about a minute ago about people that grow roots, you know, yes. in their job. But the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to improve, the only way you're going to get better is if you step outside those comfort zones and do things that make you uncomfortable. When I was coaching in high school basketball, I used to constantly, my team would probably tell you this, I would always remind them, hey, you guys need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, you know, people always ask, well, how do you, how do, you do that? And what I recommend, and I try to do this every day of my life, is do one thing every day that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But right. if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, you know, we lose somebody who's close to us, we get let go from our job, we find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness, you'll be so much more resilient to handle that pain than the people who don't. Basically, the, the rule of thumb is if you don't want to do it, do it. You know, if, if you are uncomfortable doing it, do it. And, and I always tell, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then, it's going to be too late to go back and do them. Yeah, I did a, an interview just recently where we talked about that being more afraid of what you didn't do, like of the regrets, then of the pain of maybe executing and how if you can make that bigger, it's going to be easier transition into trying. Exactly. And I think, you know, we, and I actually devoted an entire chapter of my book to this, that most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that, you know, in my life, it's like, oh, I'd like to do this. Oh, wait a minute. You know, do I have enough knowledge? Do I have enough education? What are people going to say about me if I fail? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. That's not thinking like, who cares? You know, I mean, everybody's really, I, I yeah. mean, everybody thinks that failure is bad. That's another chapter I put in my book is the importance of failure and yeah. failing often when you're, especially when you're young, because the road to success is paved with failure. I mean, all these people, you look at all these, whatever, you know, whether it's a banker, whether it's a musician, whether it's an athlete, whatever it is, look, that person is great. I mean, look at what they've done. They failed thousands of times. I guarantee you, if you sit down and talk to them, but nobody sees that. They just see the end result. So don't be afraid to fail. A couple of things that are coming up for me is I think that the more you try, the more you expand your comfort zone so that it's easier and easier to do that type of stuff. And, you know, again, you know, let's use a basketball analogy or you, uh, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had a, had a conversation with my publisher on my book and I said, you know, I listen to every podcast I'm on because I want to I want to see if I can you know, find a better story or I could mm. make the stories tighter or I, how many times I say um or hung or something like that. And he's like, no, Terry, it's, it's not about being good. It's just about not sucking. 
And I said, well, thanks for the title of my next book. You know, just don't suck. But but I, you know, I said, no, that's not what it's about for me. I want to be a good guest. So the podcast host feels that it was worth the time to spend time talking with me. So I want to get better. And like I said, when I first started out in podcasting, I was scared. I had terrible stories. I, I said, um, a million times and things like that. And you just, you get better. Like you say, you, you the more you practice, the better you get at it. And a lot of times people aren't willing to put in that kind of time though. I think it's, you know, you talked about analyzing uh, opportunities from a fear-based. Sometimes I like to advise folks, hey, what's the worst thing that could happen? And if you can live with that, motor on through. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. But but people don't, people never think about, they don't want to think of the negative. They don't want, I mean, I don't mm -hmm. think anybody, but at least most people don't go into something, you know, with the idea that I, I'm going to fail. But, no. you know, I mean, if you do, you should probably just sleep in that morning and, you know, just get a little more rest because it's not even worth your time. Because, I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, geez, Terry, you know, your cancer story, I could never do what you did. And depending on the kind of the mood I'm in, sometimes I'll, I'll be sarcastic and be like, yeah, you know, you're right, because you've already defeated yourself in your own mind. You haven't even started. You haven't even gotten out of the gate and you've already decided that you're not going to be successful at that. So never be that way. Always believe that you can do it. I mean, like I go back to the, the Spanx example, you know, I mean, if Sarah Blakely, you know, would have waited to have everything lined up, we'd be talking about somebody else other than Sarah Blakely. Uh, one of the uh, mantras I learned quite early on uh, was you can know the path or you can know the destination and you can't know both. Hey, growth-oriented business owners, are you ready to take your business to new heights and connect with like-minded entrepreneurs? I would like to introduce you to the Elite Growth Community, your ticket to a world of learning, sharing, strategizing, and problem solving. Our monthly live events will bring together successful business owners just like you, who are making over six figures and have been in the game for at least two years. And the best part? Your first event is absolutely free. So try it out and see if it's the right fit for you. And after that, for just $17 a month, you'll unlock unlimited access to our exclusive community where you can accelerate your business growth like never before. No commitments, month to month. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to join the elite growth community at blackstarwealth.com backslash elite. Sign up today and watch your business soar to a new heights. That's blackstarwealth.com backslash E-L-I-T-E. Hope to see you soon. Number three, please, Terry. Number three is kind of a legacy type of truth, and it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. Yeah. And most of us... Most of the people listening to us have probably heard about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, mm -hmm. on his television show, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, educated so many young people, including me, you know, growing up. When Mr. Rogers died in 2003, his family was going through his effects and found his wallet. And inside his wallet was a scrap piece of paper on which Mr. Rogers had written four simple words. Life is for service. So, you know, you look at a guy who affected the lives of so many people, like I say, including myself, that it, for him, it was all about serving. It was all about what can I give instead of what can I get? And Wendy, the way I kind of look at this is this. We, we seem to think that we are born empty and that when we get out of school, and we kind of get into life. You know, when we, find, we get our jobs, we, we figure out what we're going to do. 
that our that our purpose is to sort of fill ourselves up. You know, I got to get a good job. I got to drive a nice car. I got to have a nice family. I have a great education. And we fill ourselves up. And we think by filling ourselves up that we're somehow going to be fulfilled, that we're going to have a good life. And what I've come to, to understand is it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full. We're born with everything we need to be successful in our lives already inside of us. Mm-hmm. We just need to figure out what that is, pull it out, and use it to our benefit. So instead of saying, you know, my purpose is to give or to get stuff, our purpose should be to give of ourselves, you know, for ourselves, for, you know, the better, betterment of our families, our, our communities, our, our businesses, our God, whatever you believe. But instead of the, I got to get, think about life more in terms of I've got to give. And another uh, way of maybe even looking at it is what impact do you want to have in the world, right? As a legacy that really ties believing in and, and being in people's hearts, what impact did you want to have on those people? What, how, what change did you want to affect? That, I mean, that is service. It, it really is. And, and, you know, when I, when I had my leg amputated and I, I still have tumors in my lungs that I'm treated for, I went with my wife to the, to the mortuary, to the cemetery, and to the church, and I planned my funeral. And because I give talks and I'm on podcasts where I talk about motivation and the need to keep moving forward, I actually got some brushback from people who commented that somehow planning my funeral was in some way defeatist. And I had to remind these people that the last time I checked, we're all going to die. Don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. Every one of us is going to die, but not every one of us is truly going to live. And I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I absolutely love. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way. And I think that's the key. Those are the key words. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. Now, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to hasten my demise in any way. But death is not nearly as scary for me because I believe I live the purposes for which I was put on this earth to do. Why do you think people are so fearful of death? Because they don't live. They don't, you know, we kind of we kind of get into this sort of hamster wheel thing where we're just going around and around and around. And like you said, you know, we want to have an impact. We want to make a difference. And, and people wake up one day and, you know, they're in their 50s or 60s. And they're like, I've done nothing with my life. And I, I talk about people who kind of live a casual life. And because of that casual life, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions become a casualty of that unplanned living. And I, there, there was a football player here in the United States by the name of Jerry Rice. And he had a great quote. He Love said, him. today, I, yeah, I mean, Hall of Famer and everything. He said, today I will do what others won't so that tomorrow I can do what others can't. Yes. So, you know, think about that. I mean, if, if you're not willing, you know, if you're, you know, it's kind of the Groundhog Day movie where, you know, it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again. You got to get off the hamster wheel. You got to do things that scare you. You got to do things that make you uncomfortable. And if you do that, I think at the end of your life, you get to the point where, yeah, I, I, I had an impact. Oh, that's amazing. Number four, what's the number fourth truth? Number four is, is pretty self-explanatory. It's as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Mm. And the way that, that, you know, like I said, I think it's self-explanatory, but the way it, it basically resonates with me is this. Someday my pain is going to end. 
you know, it may end through surgery. It may end through the development of some new medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then pain will always be a part of my life. You know, we're, we're all going to experience pain in our lives. And, you know, like I said, a way to help yourself with that is to do something uncomfortable every single day. But, you know, you, you get to a point where, you know, I, I've got a friend who's a Navy SEAL and we talk, he calls me on my off weeks of treatment. And we talk about what the SEALs call their 40% rule, which basically says that if you're at the end of your rope, if you're done, if you can't go on, that you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have another 60% left in reserve to give to yourself. So again, going back to what we were talking about before, you know, those things you don't want to do. I don't want to get off the couch and go to the gym. You know, I, I'll wait till tomorrow to call that client and maybe make that sale today. You know, what, whatever those things that you're putting off, don't put off. Realize that you still have so much more, that 60% left in reserve to give to yourself. Harry, those are, I love those truths. And how can people get all, is, does your book cover these truths? Actually, it doesn't. I'm, that's, oh. I'm thinking about another book that, you know, might cover those. Um, the, the book really just kind of um, covers 10 principles. I had a young man reach out to me at college and from college. He said, what do you think I need to learn? Not to just be successful in my job and in business, but to be successful in life. And Wendy, I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. I mean, not that those aren't important. Those are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could maybe go a little bit deeper with him. And so I spent some time, came up with these 10 principles, sent them to him, and then sort of stepped back and was like, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So while I was healing from my leg amputation, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. That's amazing. And I think that when we look at you as an example of someone who has fought through pain, someone who has not, who has a passion and lets that be their driving and motivational force, you know, we can really see in life and in action, how that can really make a big difference. I hope so. You know, I mean, it's, it's one thing, you know, I'm old enough now where I don't really pay a lot of attention to what people say. Mm. I want to see what people do, you know, and, and if your walk matches your talk, then I'm much more inclined to pay attention to you. But so many people talk a good game, but then never follow up and, and, and don't live their life that way. So, you know, you, you've got to have, got to have those values. You know, it's kind of like the story I told about character. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're a person of good character, chances are you learn that growing up and hopefully now you're implementing it in your life, whether it's your business life, your professional life, you know, your personal life, whatever that is. I want to be around people with good character because people with good character, they lift me up. They make me better people. So, you know, I always say, Wendy, if I didn't know you, but I knew the five people you hung around with, yep. I could tell you a lot about your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, your background, just by the people you hang around with. Make sure you hang out with people that are better than you. They'll make you a better person. Amazing. What is something I didn't ask you that I should have? I, I guess maybe... I mean, the, the question is probably something like, you know, what, what do you what do you find is important in life? Mm. And, and I'll I'll tell you the story. I had a nurse nurse asked me recently what it was like to have my foot amputated and then my leg amputated. And, and I told her, I mean, I'm six foot eight inches tall. So learning how to walk again 
you know, falling from this height, not a good thing. You know, people no. get hurt. So, you know, I, I, what I told her was cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And we spend a lot of time and I'm not telling you not to. We spend a lot of time on this on this house, this vessel of who we are, this body. You know, we work out, we eat right, we get enough rest, we reduce stress, all that kind of stuff. I'm not telling you not to do that. But what I am suggesting is that maybe spend a little more time every day working on who you really are, which is your heart, your mind, and your soul. And Terry, I think you have just summed it up beautifully as the real bottom line is to do that. Thank, Thank you. you for your time, Terry. Wendy, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.